0: Just about 16 months ago, we began a study as a church in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1. And for 16 months now, we've been navigating verse by verse through a section of Scripture that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And we find ourselves this weekend in our final two weeks in our study through Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and seven is what is in what has been come to know, be known as the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is being taught by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he's sitting with his disciples and he's talking to them about the kingdom way of life, what life looks like in the kingdom of God. And he has chosen to conclude this sermon by sharing with them four illustrations about what kingdom living, what life in the kingdom of God is all about and so far we've looked at two two weeks ago pastor Vance laid out for us the first illustration last weekend we talked about another one and this weekend we come to our third illustration about kingdom living but every week in this series we've been sharing with you two summary statements two statements that really sum up what kingdom living is all about and I want to begin with those this weekend So if we could put the first one up on the screen, I want us to read this first summary statement out loud together. So let's read this on three. One, two, three. Kingdom living begins with following Christ. Kingdom living starts, has its starting place in choosing to follow Jesus Every person that has been born into the kingdom of God had a moment when they made a choice to follow the person of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of examples of ways that this has taken place. A lot of examples of people who have chosen to follow Christ. As you read through the gospels, you'll see the disciples and Jesus approaches them and they're living their life. They're doing what's normal Some were tax collectors, some were fishermen, and many other things. And Jesus walks up, and here's what he says. He says, follow me. And at that moment, they had a decision to make. They were in the normalcy of life. They were doing what they had always been doing. And Jesus approaches them and says, I want you to leave what you've been doing. I want you to leave your way of life, and I want you to become my follower. I want you to become my. My disciple, and one by one by one, we read in the Gospels, the disciples chose to walk away from what they had known and they began to follow Jesus. And I would imagine if we went around our campuses this weekend and asked people to give testimony, if you've ever had a moment where you gave your life, you began to follow Jesus, many people would give testimony that they had. Maybe for you, it was as a child. Maybe when you were in high school or a young adult. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it's been during this series. But kingdom living starts not by going to church. Not by hanging around Christians. Kingdom living starts with following Christ. Here's our second summary statement about kingdom living that I want us to read off off the screen together this weekend. Both here in Las Vegas and also at our Boulder City campus. Let's read it together on three. One, two, three. Kingdom living constantly pursues his life in me. Yes, there is a moment when we begin to follow Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. Because you see, following Jesus is a lifelong pursuit of knowing God, of experiencing intimacy with God. The radical message of the kingdom is this, that once we come into a relationship with God, it's not up to us to try to figure out how to live the Christian life. The invitation from Jesus is to know him and to pursue the relationship. And he assures us, That out of that, he will press his very life out through us. That's kingdom living. It begins with following Christ. But it constantly pursues Christ in us. So if you would turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, we are going to continue through this study together. This first week, Pastor Vance laid out for us the illustration of two roads. And the scripture teaches in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, that there are two roads that every person chooses which one they will go down. One is a broad road. A lot of people are going down. It's easy to find, but its end result is destruction. But there's another road that's narrow. And it's harder to find. And not many people are walking down that road. But it is the road that leads to life. And last weekend we talked about false prophets. Jesus shared with us that as we navigate the narrow road as his disciples, there will be influences. There will be things that cross our path that maybe appear to be genuine. They appear to be right. They may even appear to be godly. But we need to beware. And we need to examine every message, every influence that comes in our lives by looking at the fruit of its source. And seeing if it is truly something from God or if it is in fact deception from the enemy. And this weekend we're going to be looking starting in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7. And the intensity of the message is going to increase This weekend. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I'm going to put it up on the screen for us in case you don't have a Bible this weekend. Verse 21 says this Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus, in this illustration, begins to talk about the future. He begins to talk about a day that is coming for every person when they will, in fact, be judged. And this weekend, to unpack this text, what I want to do is ask two very, very simple questions that hopefully will let us get our heart and mind around the essence of what Jesus is teaching here. Here's the first big question for this weekend. What is Jesus teaching us? About kingdom living. In these three verses, what is it that Jesus is teaching us as it pertains to kingdom living? What is he trying to communicate to us? I believe he is trying to once again clearly let us see what truly defines life in his kingdom. The defining characteristic of life for us as Jesus followers as we live in the kingdom of God, because Jesus knew the day he spoke these words that there were people in his audience, and there would be people, generation after generation after generation to come, who would hear this teaching, who thought they had this whole thing figured out, who thought they were good. That they were right with God. They were doing the right thing. And then Jesus teaches this passage. And here's what he in essence is saying. Listen. There are some of you and you're following something. But it's not the way of the kingdom. It's religion. It's a false gospel. It's a false teaching. And I believe in these verses. Jesus gives us three very clear principles. That show us what defines the kingdom way of life. And I want to look at those. There is one in each of these verses. And here's the first one. The first principle that helps us understand what truly defines kingdom living. Kingdom living is not defined by how much I know. Life in the kingdom of God at its very essence is not defined by how much I know, look at verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Jesus says, as you live life, you're going to hear a lot of people saying, Lord, Lord. Who are professing Jesus as Lord as they pray, as they worship, as they have conversation. And some of them are genuine. Some of them are real. They've been changed. And they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But there are others. And you're going to hear them addressing Jesus as Lord. You're going to hear them talking about the kingdom way of life. But guess what? All it is is empty words. Because nothing inside of their heart has ever, ever been transformed. He says the reason they're saying Lord, Lord. Is because they feel like that's the religious thing you're supposed to say. I want to remind you again. Jesus was speaking to people. He was speaking to Pharisees, to scribes, who thought they had nailed what rightness with God was supposed to look like. Look at this quote from John MacArthur. He says, The Lord is not speaking to irreligious people. To atheists or agnostics. Nor is he speaking to pagans, heretics or apostates. He is speaking to people who are devoutly religious. But who are deluded in thinking they are on the road to heaven. When they are really on the broad road to hell. I believe Jesus chose very specifically here. The phrase Lord, Lord. You see, that's a term we say a lot. But do we really, in essence, know what it means? The word Lord means this. It means a title of majesty, authority, honor, and sovereignty. When you or I address a person as Lord, here's what that means. That means I surrender all of me to all of you every moment of every day you are my master and I esteem you that's the phrase Lord and he's saying in verse 21 there are some people and that's what's coming out of their mouth but when you look at their life it doesn't apply Because they are in certain contexts saying, yes, Jesus is Lord. We esteem him. We honor him. But as you examine their life, here's what you realize. They are not pursuing the will of the Father. They have not submitted to Jesus as their Lord. And that's scary. But Jesus says very, very clearly, even though those people know all the lyrics to the songs... They know when to stand up. They know when to sit down. They know when to say amen. They can even quote the scriptures. The knowledge that is in their head has never made it to their heart. And they are not changed. The first thing Jesus says here is that kingdom living is not defined by how much you or I know. And here's what I believe is at the heart of what he's wanting us to realize. He's wanting us to realize that there is a difference. There is a huge difference in knowing information and experiencing transformation. There's a huge difference. It's a huge difference for you and I to sit across a table and us to have a spiritual dialogue in which I share all the right phrases. And you noticing in my life that my heart is being radically transformed because of my pursuit of Jesus. And because of that transformation, what is spilling out of me is his very life. Major difference but I believe there are many people who sit in church every weekend and you know information. You got that. There's not a song that we could sing that you don't know about. But here's the question. Are you truly experiencing, thanks man, transformation? Kingdom living is not defined by how much you or I know. Here's the second principle I think that we see very, very clearly in this passage. Secondly, kingdom living is not defined by how much I do. Look at verse 22. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. Jesus says there are also going to be people who are very, very caught up in spiritual activity. There are going to be loads of people and they're caught up in the activity. They are doing all the things that you're supposed to do as a religious person. But once again... Inside, they're hollow. Every week, I have a chance to interact with a lot of people. It's just the nature of my job. Whether it be our church staff or our church or people in the city, people on the phone, people through email around the country, around the world. I get to interact with a lot of people. And a lot of people share a lot of different stories with me. Some of those stories are evidence of God's activity. Some are not. Some are very, very exciting, some are not. Some are full of joy, some are not. But as I talk to different people, honestly, there's really no way that I can know if what they're sharing is genuine. I mean, I can have some some inclination, I can have some feelings. But at the end of the day, the only thing I can really see is the outside. I can't see a person's heart. But God's different. God can see past the outside. God can see straight into our heart. Look at this verse from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord, he looks at the heart. And Jesus is sharing with these people. Listen, there's a day coming. When your empty activity, when your empty words, when the empty things you've been saying and the empty things you've been doing are going to be exposed, and you're going to realize that the entire time you thought you had this thing figured out, you were deceived. And you were following a religious system, but you were never following Jesus. It's challenging. He says, kingdom living is not defined by how much I do. Because look at verse 22. Could there be three more spiritual activities than he's talking about right here? He's talking about prophesying, preaching. He's talking about casting out demons. And he's talking about performing miracles. I don't know that there's a better list. I mean, this is like checking off the to-do list if you're spiritual. And these people are doing, and Jesus says, it's not genuine." It's not real. I want to show you an example of how this is true. Turn over very quickly to the right to Acts chapter 8. And I want to read something very quickly for us. Acts chapter 8 starting in verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. It's going to be talking about a guy named Simon. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 8. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention. He had for a long time astonished them in his magic arts. But when they believed Philip's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. There is an example of someone, not under the power of God, but under the power of the enemy, who was doing amazing things. He was doing spiritual activity, yet the entire time had no relationship, was not living in the kingdom of God. There was a time for Simon when because of what he was doing, people associated him with God's kingdom. But the entire time... It was wrong. Here's what the enemy's done with religion. He's institutionalized away a system that makes you and I think that based on what we do, somehow we can merit favor or a relationship with God. But it's wrong. It's a lie. Look at this principle on the screen that is so unbelievably important. Activity for God is not a substitute for intimacy with God. You and I performing spiritual activity, good activity, well-meaning activity is no substitute for the relationship. Coming to church, being in Bible studies, doing spiritual things in no way is a a holder or a space holder for you and I spending time pursuing the relationship. Religion says this. Man's way says this. If I'll just do enough, I can be in right standing with God. If I can just get enough good things going on in my life, somehow I'll merit a right relationship with God somehow. But guess what? The Bible says differently. When I was 15 years old, I was excited about what most 15-year-olds are excited about. I wanted to get my driver's license. And a part of that meant I had to get my learner's permit. And so about 90 days before I was going to take the test, I went and got the book and I began to study and to read and to look over it, preparing for this test that would qualify me to be street legal with a parent in the car. And so I took 90 days and began to study. And the day of the test came and my mom took me to the place and I walk in and I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to take the test. And I walk to the front desk and say, hello, my name's Travis Ogle and I'm ready to get my learner's permit. And they said, okay, Mr. Ogle, it'll be just one moment. So i waited a few minutes, and they called me back. They set me down at this computer, and the lady says, sir, everything's going to be right here. Come up, it'll come up for you in a minute. When it asks the first question, you just begin to answer. There are 40 questions on this test. I said, beautiful. I'll see you later. So I began to navigate through the test. And I got to number 27, and the computer shut down. And on the screen, it said, please, please see the front desk. And I was mad because I was in the zone taking my test to get my learner's permit that would make me street legal with a parent in the car. And i walked walk to the front desk and say, ma'am, we have an issue. Your technology is not allowing me to complete my test for my learner's permit. And I need to get that fixed. And I need to pick up where I left off because I don't remember all the answers. And this, and the best way I know to say this is a very experienced and a very mature lady made her way up to the counter. She was a little bit later in life. And she says, one moment. She turns around. She prints something off the computer. And she puts it up on the counter. And it was my test results. And she reaches underneath the counter and she pulls out a stamp. And she puts it on some ink. And she looks at me, and she just rears back and stamps my report, and it said, failure. And she said, sir, once you answer seven questions incorrectly, the computer automatically shuts down. You did not pass your test. Have a good day. And I had a lot of emotions in that moment rage, frustration. But more than anything else, I was just embarrassed. I mean, nobody wants to be labeled as a failure right in front of your face when you have all these expectations. Here's why I tell you that story. Because regardless of what religion it is, what they say about how much you can accomplish, every time a man thinks they can earn their way into relationship with God, the end result will be a big stamp that says you failed. Because we don't measure up. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. How smart we think we are or what we do. There is no way that you and I can ever work our way into a relationship with God. It would always lead us either today or when we stand before the great judge understanding that we have failed. And that is much, much worse than what I experienced. Because that is a reality that will impact eternity but that's what the enemy's done with religion he has made us think that kingdom living is all based around that it's all defined on what we do but that could not be further from the truth that is legalism it's us thinking yes jesus is good but there's not quite enough there to really get me into right standing with god and that is just not the truth Kingdom living is not defined by what we do. It is not defined by spiritual activity. Look at this verse from Isaiah. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. On our best day, the best you can think of, you're polite to everybody. You have your quiet time in the morning. You buy somebody else lunch. You open doors for people. You don't mess up at all. On our best day, when we place that before a holy God, here's what he says. Filthy rags. You failed. It's legalism. Here's what Max Licato says about legalism. Legalism is joyless. Because legalism is endless. And I know there are some people either here on this campus or at our Boulder City campus. And you've been beating your brains out trying to live the Christian life. And it just ain't working. You're trying. You're trying to check off all the right things and not do all the wrong things. You are working and working and working. But you're not finding any joy. You're not finding any hope. Here's why. You're missing the relationship. And if when you are put on the spot and someone says, why are you in the kingdom of God? And you trace it back to what you know or what you do. You have been deceived by religion. Because kingdom living is not about how much I know and it's not about how much I do. We are accepted and we are saved by God because of Christ and Christ alone. Here's the principle we read in verse 23. Kingdom living is defined by a personal love relationship with Jesus. It's not what we know. It's not how much we do. It's defined by a personal love relationship with God. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, and then I will declare to them. I never knew you. That's a relational phrase. Jesus wasn't impressed with all the spiritual acts. He wasn't impressed with the right language. Here's what's at the heart of the whole thing. He says it's about a relationship. Let me ask you a question. If you pull away the church services, you pull away the small groups, you pull away the Christian radio, the Christian music, you pull all those things away from your life. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not do you feel like you do. Are you assuming that you do? When you woke up this morning, just like you would have conversation with other people, have you been in conversation, have you been in communion with Jesus? Because that is what truly and ultimately defines Kingdom living, a personal love relationship with the Son of God. That's what defines the whole thing. And the stuff I know about God is only because I want to deepen my pursuit and my relationship with Him. The activities that take place in my life are simply an overflow of Christ in me. I'm not doing those things to merit a relationship. Because I have a relationship, those things flow out of it. John MacArthur said this, The one who demands perfect righteousness gives perfect righteousness. The one who tells us of the way into the kingdom is himself that way. The king not only sets the standard of perfect righteousness, but will himself bring anyone up To that standard who is willing to enter the kingdom on the king's terms. This whole thing. This whole thing about the kingdom. Is defined. Is characterized. By an intimate love relationship with God. I believe that's what Jesus teaches us in these verses about kingdom living. It's not what we know. It's not what we do. It's the relationship. Here's our second big question for this weekend. What is Jesus teaching us about himself? And I just am going to move through these very, very quickly. But in these verses, there's a lot that Jesus says that indicates to us who he is. Here's the first thing he tells us about who he is. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, many will say to me on that day. You got to see this. He's sitting on the side of a hill with his disciples. And he's talking about this final judgment. And he says, listen, here's here's what you're going to see on that day. You're going to see me. Because I'm not just a good teacher, I'm not just a good rabbi or a good prophet, I am in fact God in the flesh. And I'm going to be there on the last day, because I'm the son of God. Look at this verse from Hebrews chapter 1, I love the way it paints the picture. It says, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Here's what he says about Jesus. God promised everything to his son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor At the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus is the son of God. Here's the second thing Jesus says about himself. Jesus has all authority. Look at verse 23. He says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says at the end of the day, The one who is going to make the authoritative decision of those who enter into heaven and those who don't is going to be me. Because God has given me all authority. Look at this scripture from Colossians. For he, meaning Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. You see, when we sing about Jesus, and we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a man. We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is, in fact, the Son of God and who has been given all authority. And in these verses, Jesus clearly lays that out for us. Here's the third thing we realize about Jesus. And I want to give you one illustration and we're finished. Jesus is the only way to a right relationship with God. He's the only way. I want to show you a verse that is probably the boldest statement in the Bible. It's in John chapter 14. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father but through that's the Jesus we're talking about that's the one who's preaching this sermon the one who came to earth and the one who's returning for his church I want to show you this very quickly on the board to lay out the most simplistic explanation of the gospel I could possibly think of and then we're going to have a few minutes to respond all of us know for the most part that it all started with God and this God is not like us He is holy, he is pure, and God is eternal. And he has existed from the beginning. He created everything we know and see. And in the beginning, when he created us, guess what? We had a right relationship with God. Humanity was walking and living in tune with God in the garden. We had a relationship. But as the Bible records in Genesis, guess what? Sin entered into the world. And humanity, who was in relationship with God, chose the darkness over the light. And when that happened, some major issues took place. We went from being in right relationship with God to separated from God because of sin. But not only were we separated from God because of our sin. But we were also made spiritually. We're dead. And every person who's been born on the planet since the fall. Has been born under those circumstances. They've been born separated from God because of their sin. And they've been born spiritually dead to the things of God. Now there's some major issues here. First of all, we have to figure out where in the world are we going to find forgiveness? How in the world are we as humanity going to find forgiveness for the thing that we can do nothing about? How are we going to find forgiveness of sin? But secondly, another huge, huge obstacle is we're dead. And we got to find life. So what do you do? I mean, every person since the fall has been born under an evil nature, separated from the things of God because of our sin, and made spiritually dead. Now here's what religion says. Religion says that if I can just work hard enough or have enough effort that somehow I can remove the obstacle of sin that is separating me from God and I can bring myself back to life spiritually. Are you kidding me? There's nothing that I can do in and of myself to somehow overcome this enormous obstacle of sin and bring myself back to life. If we went to the seminary today, the cemetery today, and we went looking around, what can a dead person do? I can't do anything. But religion, the lie of the enemy says, if you will just work hard enough, if you'll just do enough, somehow, these things will take care of themselves. Let me share with you the beautiful gospel of the Bible. The beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. God said, I love my creation too much To let them spend eternity separated from me, spiritually dead and drowning in their sins. So here's what God did. He said, I'm going to send my son to where they are. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God became a man. And he entered into time. He entered into this place that we call earth and he took on flesh. You see, for generations, humanity had tried to find the right sacrifice to pay for sin. They had tried everything. Nothing could take away sin permanently from us. But Jesus comes and he lives 33 perfect years on the planet, making him a sufficient sacrifice to pay for sin. And so Jesus went to the cross. We've sung about it. You know about it. He went to the cross and he died. And when he did that, here's what he did. He paid the penalty for sin. He took all the wrath of God. He took all the payment for sin. And Jesus died as the payment for the sin of humanity. Allowing us to somehow, someway through him experience forgiveness. But there's still another huge obstacle. We're still dead. We still need life. And three days after Jesus was crucified, he was raised back to life by the power of God, showing that God was satisfied with the sin payment. Guess what that gave Jesus? The authority to give life. To every person who would say, Lord, by faith, I trust you to forgive my sin. God, I trust that you died on the cross, that you came back to life, that you can, in fact, rescue me. I choose to follow you. And when that happens, here's what goes down. Jesus makes us alive again. And he brings us back into a right relationship with God understanding that the only thing God can interact with are those things that are holy, pure and eternal and guess what the life of Jesus is holy, pure and eternal that's the gospel That is the simplistic gospel of the scriptures. That there is no way I could ever earn my way by knowing enough knowledge. By working hard enough or enough spiritual activity to make my way back into a relationship with God. But Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. And he offers me forgiveness. He offers me his life. And he will bring you and I back into a right relationship with our heavenly father that's the gospel it's not religion that's not self-help that's not the best we can dream up in a room that is the very words of scripture illustrated on a board that's who jesus is so when he steps up and he says i'm the way i'm the truth and i'm the life that's what he's talking Which brings us to the big question for the weekend. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not what do you know, not how much spiritual activity are you caught up in, not are you in with religion. Has there been a time for you when you confessed that you needed forgiveness and you needed life and you realized the only source that could give that to you was Jesus, the Son of God? I think there are a lot of people who are all wrapped up in religion. And you're following a system, but you're not following Jesus. And I want us to have a time in response here tonight where we deal with that. So if you would, right where you are, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, we're gonna have a few moments where we respond to this word tonight from Jesus. The big invitation the main thing I want you to wrestle with in your heart tonight is not are you a person who's religious or are you a person who goes to church? Do you have a relationship with God? That's what defines life and its kingdom. If you're here tonight and you would say, Travis, Travis, I've never had a moment. I've tried some stuff. I've tried to put it on my shoulder and carry it. But I've never had a moment where I surrendered my life. I gave my life to the person of Jesus and allowed him to forgive me and give me life and bring me back into relationship with God. I want to lead you in a prayer, a time for you to choose to follow him. So right where you are, if that's you, I want you to say this in your heart. I want you to say it straight to God. Not lip service. Not just something that sounds good. You saying this to the God of creation. Say, dear God, I realize that I am a sinner and I am dead spiritually. I realize tonight my great need for a relationship With you. Please forgive my sin. Please give me your life. I choose tonight to follow you. I want you to know if you were serious, if you were genuine by faith. You just began a relationship with Jesus. And everybody in the room is still with their head bowed and eye closed. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to know tonight if maybe you had that moment where you chose to follow him. If you would, just right where you are, I would not embarrass you for anything. If you would say, Travis, I just began following Jesus. I just asked him to forgive me and to fill me with his life. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are so that I can see you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just lift your hand. I just want to see you so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who just raised your hand, after we finish the service, I'm going to be off to my left, and we've got some prayer volunteers, and they just want to talk to you. They would love just to come around you tonight and love on you a little bit. So after the service, I want to invite you to stop by just over on the left. And say hello and let us pray for you tonight.